0: Isn't God good? Keep the school in your prayers as uh, they will face many challenges as, as pastor talked about. There's been a lot of challenges. There's a lot of demons behind us. There's still a few in front of us, <laughs> but God is good. And if, if you didn't know that this church has a school uh, as part of our ministry, we do. It's, uh, this is the 45th year of South Park Christian Academy. So, uh, you're looking at a graduate, 1992, arguably the best class ever. (laughs) I'm just being serious. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) We weren't a very big class, but we were mighty. God is good. Uh, Keep the school in your prayers and thoughts. If you know anybody uh, in St. Joe or in the surrounding areas that are looking for... um, Christian education. for you. And if you knew how much money the school actually had to see the stuff that was done, is, is amazing. We are not state-funded. We are, uh, <laughs> are volunteer-based, just like the church. And God is good. Amen? God is faithful. God is faithful. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Revelation. The 12th chapter. God bless you. <laughs> well, everybody else heard it. We might as well just acknowledge. We might as well just acknowledge things and pretend, not pretend like they don't happen. That's why a couple of weeks ago when there was a child running laps around here, we just acknowledge it. We don't hide from it or run from it. It's the truth, it's what's happening. That's, that's what real life, real life happens to us. And as Christians, we shouldn't just pretend that everything's fine. We should acknowledge it. For too long, Christianity, I don't know where why I'm off on this tangent. Christianity has been pretend you're one way, then pretend everything's okay, pretend you're fine. Put the smile on your face when you go into church. And if people ask you how you're doing, say just fine. No. Be honest. Be truthful. Be true to who God created you to be. Okay. That all came from sneeze. So just imagine what I'm gonna get out of Revelation the 12th chapter. We're going to be here a while. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so Revelation chapter 12. This will not be uh, an end times message. I apologize for, uh, to all of you who were hoping for that when you heard the book of Revelation. Um, Revelation 12, 11 says this. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Lord, we thank you for the scripture. God, I pray in these next few moments as we look into it, God, that that we would be transformed, that we would be changed, that we would see things in our lives that, that we can do to make ourselves more like you, to become better followers of Jesus Christ. Help us this morning, God, do a work in our hearts and in our minds by the power of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen. Amen. The book of Revelation is a fascinating book. I remember as a young boy, chapter 13, I was fascinated with chapter 13 of the book of Revelation, because if you'll remember, that's where the beast comes up out of the ocean. The beast. The beast arises, and then he makes people get a mark on their hand and their forehead, The number of the mark being 666. I was fascinated. Our culture is fascinated by that. Scary movies come out and they'll put like on the cover of the scary movie like 666. And people are like, yeah, you'll go to the grocery store. Your total will be 666. You're like, ah, let me get a pack of gum. Our culture is fascinated with revelation and with the beast and with the mark. And that's not even what my message is about. I just want to, I just want to kind of set the table for our culture. We, we are fascinated with the book of Revelation. We probably don't understand it, but we're fascinated with it. And so I just kind of want to give you the context of what this is. In chapter 11 of the book of Revelation, see, the book of Revelation is kind of set, it's kind of like a bunch of one-act plays, actually. It's like this, the curtain opens in. John has this vision. And then he moves to another vision. And then he moves to another vision. Chapter 11 is is the 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 two witnesses and they 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 die but then God gives them back life and 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 then chapter 12 is there's this great woman and she has a baby and then the baby is the savior. So so then we think, well, is the is is the great is, is the woman is it Mary? Is it Eve? Is it is it the Jewish people? Who is who is the woman? We know the Savior comes from, from that line. And and so there's all this cosmic warfare. Then there's a great battle with Michael, the archangel, and and Satan. And there's all this cosmic warfare that's going on. And then Satan's thrown down like Thor style. Uh, Thor is that a real thing in uh, yeah, the Marvel world, or Thanos maybe? And uh, so, so Satan's thrown down, and there's it's like this cosmic warfare, this imagery that we're that John sees and that we're given. It's 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 warfare almost. But then we're told how they defeat the lamb, or how they defeat the enemy, and it's not with fists or guns or knives or swords. Or bombs. How we defeat Satan is by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by uh, loving our lives so much that we don't shrink from death. So that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today how we defeat Satan. I would talk to you about the rest of Revelation 12, but I don't quite know what it all means. And if somebody comes to you and tells you they know exactly what it means, don't trust them. Because they might have some insight, but the scripture tells us there's no private revelation. There's no private interpretation. God doesn't come to me by night and say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what Revelation 12 means. Then then you can set a date when Jesus is going to come back. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Bought it. Read it. Didn't go to Christian skate night because that was during Rosh Hashanah. And I couldn't trust myself to not be roller skating. I mean, as far as I knew, roller skating wasn't a sin, but what if it was? (laughs) So, so if, any, if somebody comes to you and tells you they, they've got the track on the book of Revelation, they know exactly what everything means. I mean, I believe, I believe the book of Revelation tells us what some of it means. But don't trust them. So the, the, the problem is we, we take the book of Revelation and we try to interpret the rest and the whole of Scripture through that lens Rather than taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospels, the four gospels, and interpreting the book of Revelation through that. Oh, well, the book of Revelation says that Jesus does this, this, and this. But the Jesus that we see in the gospel does this. So this must be a type in the book of Revelation. Rather than saying, flipping it around, okay, I'm sorry. I'm in, I'm in waters that i it's even too deep for me to swim in. So I want to talk to you about how to defeat the enemy. And we're specifically told in the book, uh, in, in chapter 12, that it's Satan and the devil. I mean, he's like also, aka the devil, basically, is what John tells us. So, and, and I believe that there are parts of scripture that are completely straightforward. I believe the gospels are straightforward. I believe that when it tells us that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is the son of God. And the Gospels are very straightforward like that. When it tells us that Jesus is the full revelation of God manifest to us, I believe that that's reliable. And And I'm not saying the book of Revelation isn't reliable. I'm just saying that there are a lot of types and a lot of imagery used to make points. So when it says the beast comes up out of the ocean with ten horns and one of the heads is wounded... Do I believe that a beast is going to come up out of the ocean that looks like that? I mean, according to everything I've ever been taught, is that that's talking about the Antichrist. And that is going to be a human. So, so can we all just acknowledge that there are things in the book of Revelation that are imagery? Okay. But I want to talk about how we defeat the Lamb. It says they triumphed. I keep saying that. We don't want to defeat the Lamb, Bradley. We want to defeat Satan. They triumphed or defeated by the blood of the Lamb. How we defeat the enemy is by the blood of the Lamb. And this phrase, you will hear it in church a lot. It's kind of shorthand for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's kind of, when, when, we, when we talk about the blood of the Lamb, we're talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ shed his blood for us on the cross when we talk about the blood of the Lamb. So, so by submitting to this gospel message of Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection, that's how we will defeat the enemy. That's one of the ways we defeat the enemy is by submitting to the gospel, submitting our lives to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is imagery from the Old Testament. You remember that when the death angel was going to come, if they, they said if you put the blood on the posts, then you'll live. That's the same imagery when we talk about the blood. My shoe's untied. I, I, the only way I knew it is I stepped on it and then almost tripped myself. The reason I said, called it out is somebody else was going to see it first. And I was just beating you to the punch. The blood of the lamb. We will defeat the enemy by the blood of the lamb. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what destroyed the enemy. This is what conquers death. And so, back to the book of Revelation, sometimes I struggle with some interpretations of the book because because are the events that it's describing, have they already happened? Are they currently happening? Are they going to happen? Well, when it talks about the the devil being bound at the end, I believe if we, and, and listen, I'm not laying out any, Particular theology here on the book of Revelation. But if we say, oh, the devil's gonna someday be bound, well, then aren't we reducing the work of the cross? Because the way I read the scripture is that Satan was defeated on the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. That when Jesus Christ said, it is finished, he wasn't saying, well, someday it's finished, well, this part's finished but later I'm going to have to do something else. No, we believe in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. I believe in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. That everything that Christ is going to do for us, he has already done. It is finished. Now, everything that Christ is going to do in us is not already done. What he is going to do for us, what he did for us is already done. What he's doing in us is just beginning for some of us. For me, I'm just, getting, I'm just getting started out on this path. What he did for me is already completed. What he's doing in me is an ongoing work, a transformation. As I continue to submit to this blood of the lamb, to this gospel, as I, as I continue to submit my life to the gospel, as I continue through the word of my testimony, and as I continue to not value my life over the lives of others and not be afraid to die. The work that Christ did for you is finished. He himself testified to that on the cross when he said, It is finished. We overcome by entering this work, by accepting Christ, by following Christ, by repenting of our sins, by turning to Christ. The work that he did for us is finished. The work that he's doing in us is just beginning. So, one of the ways we overcome is by the blood of the Lamb, the death. Burial. Resurrection of Jesus Christ. How you're going to defeat your enemies is not by punching them. It's not. I mean, I have see Christians all the time that have bumper stickers that say something like, try and take this gun. You can have that bumper sticker. That's fine. Just don't have a Christian bumper sticker next to it. Don't have a fish next to it. Because threatenings <laughs> threatening people and trying to intimidate people is not a Christian practice. Even the people who are trying to kill you. See Stephen. See Jesus. Are we followers of Christ? Or John Wayne? I believe we're followers of Christ. Okay. I like John Wayne, by the way. I like... I like my favorite Western is Tombstone, though. That's not, not a John Wayne Western. but I like Doc Holliday, but I don't follow that. I can't. Not be a Christian. Okay. The word of their testimony. We'll move on. And we talk around here at this church a lot about our testimony in front of the world, how we live in front of the world, how we portray ourselves in front of the world, I told you a story last week about how I was at Hy-V. I'm not going to go back over that. I don't want to stir those feelings back up. How I got really upset and had to be settled down by uh, my wife at the deli counter. So, we talk a lot about our testimony in front of the world, about, about living well in front of people, living well in front of co-workers, in front of people that we come in contact with. But there's more to our testimony than just unheard actions. It says they overcame by the word of their testimony. By the word of their testimony. Words have power. Words have power. We're told in Proverbs that that the power of life and death is in the tongue. You know the saying sticks and stones may break my bones but names will biggest lie. The greatest wounds in your life have come from words. The hardest things to heal in your life have come from words. That's a lie. Words have power. Words have power. What we say matters. How we talk to people matters. And I believe that here that testimony is talking about our words. You remember the the woman at the well that Jesus met? And he told her everything about her life, told her how many husbands she had had, told her that her current Bay wasn't her husband. I threw that in for the young people. And it says in John 4.39, it says, And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, that's Jesus, because of the woman's testimony that he told me everything I ever did. Her testimony had words. Words have power. Her spoken word is what brought victory for other people. Of the 50 or so confrontations in scripture of Jesus versus the demonic, he uses words, right? You don't see Jesus laying hands and shaking people trying to get the demon out. He speaks to it. He uses word. When Jesus heals people, He uses his word. He says things like, your faith has made you whole. Now, Jesus does a couple different times, does do some strange things. He spits in mud, wipes it in people's eyes. He does do some strange things. But most of the time, he uses the word. He uses his word. Words are powerful. Words were used by God in the beginning to create. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God said, let the firmament divide from the... Then he says, let land appear. Then he says, let fish appear. God uses words. Now, word, words of God are powerful. But we are made in the image of God. In our words, I do not have the power to create. But I do have the power to destroy with my tongue, with my words. I can destroy friendships. I can destroy relationships. I can destroy... I mean, if depending on what people think of me, my words could destroy their uh, self-esteem. I mean, words are powerful. Your words are powerful. And they can be used to either build up or to tear down. And if you're a Christian or you claim Christ then your words need to be used to build up. Jesus when was confronted with a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. He said, where are your accusers? Have they left? She's like, yes, Lord. And he said, well, I just misquoted Jesus. He said, is there no one left to condemn you? And she says, none, Lord. And he says, then neither do I. Jesus used his words to heal her, to say, you are not condemned. That you have value. You have worth. And if we are followers of Jesus, then that's what our words will do too. Our words are powerful. The words of our testimony are powerful. Our words are powerful, yes, but the words of our testimony. If I can tell you what God has done for me and how God has saved me and how God has changed me, that's powerful. That's what the Samaritan woman did. The whole, not the whole town. Many Samaritans believe because of her words, because of her testimonies. Your words have power. My great uncle, John Garlock, used to say that you are the, the world's foremost authority on you. And when you talk to other people, you can tell them what God has done for you better than anybody else. You are the world's authority on you. Tell people what God has done for you. Walker reminded me a time, of a time this week, he and I were talking yesterday about this a little bit. And he reminded me of a time that, that I used my words to kind of give some of my testimony to him and Bo on a car ride back from Kansas City. Poor guys, they probably were looking for the escape hatch. <laughs> Get out of here because I was like, I'm going to share a little wisdom with you all. They probably both tried to erase it from their memory. But actually, Walker brought it up and told me about it. But, but I, I just shared with them, I was vulnerable with them. I shared with them about some of my struggles as a young man. I opened up with them and talked to them about it. I shared some of my testimony. And, and Walker uh, relayed to me that that was powerful to him. And I can't speak to that because I don't know for sure. But I do know it reminds me of a of a conversation I had with my uncle where he did the same thing for me. Where he opened up to me and he told me about some of his struggles and he told me what to expect in the coming years. And his words were powerful. His words brought life to me. His words got me out of a few jams. Because I distinctly remember and I've I've shared this in church before but he told me he said you're going to find yourself in these situations and when you do i hope you hear my voice and i hope what you hear are these words run <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> I'm not sure what that was he said run and, and, there was, and within, within months and years of that conversation, I found myself in situations where I did hear his voice and I ran, thankfully. But I say all that to say that your words have power. Your testimony has power, not just for your life, but for other people's lives. Your testimony can do things for other people. Your testimony is powerful. Don't ever, don't ever think that what you have to say about what God has done in you is meaningless because it is powerful and it can help people defeat their enemies by seeing and hearing what God has done in you. Our words are powerful. Our words have power. How we speak to each other matters. How we speak to our children matters. How we speak to our spouses matters. How we speak about God matters. If we're always, if we start every day saying, well, this day is going to stink, well, guess what? You're going to be looking for things, and that day is going to stink. If you say to your kids, you're just lazy, or you, I'm telling you, your words matter. It's important how you say things. And I don't know why I put this in my notes, but I did. But There should not be angry shouting going on in houses of Christians. There just shouldn't be. Because your words matter. And your little temper needs to be controlled. And it needs to be submitted. Well, I just have a temper. Okay, get saved. I just, I just, you know. We all have things we struggle with and we all have to submit them to God. But your problem shouldn't be affecting everybody else. If you have a temper, work on it. Don't abuse the people around you. I believe that's true. I believe that in the homes of Christians, there should not be angry shouting going on. Yeah, You know what Jesus says? He says, get angry and don't sin. Getting angry is not a sin. Sinning because of your anger is a sin. Well, that's a double sin. Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. If you can't talk to people when you're mad, then don't talk to people when you're mad. Wait till you're not mad anymore. Man, our words matter. How we talk to people matters. What we say with our mouths matters. You should not let your temper get you that far. Because the damage done in the heat of the moment takes a long time to repair. Because when we fly off the handle, if you fly off the handle and say something that you probably don't mean, just to try to get at somebody, you can say you're sorry all you want. But those words that came out of your mouth have already done the damage. Words matter. Scripture knows this. Why why does Proverbs say that the power of life and death is in the tongue? Not because your tongue can raise somebody back to life, but because there is power in what you say. Okay. Can we move on? We all get it. Your testimony of what God has done in your life can be salvation to others. It can bring them to him. It can bring them to him. So don't be shy in telling people what Jesus has done for you. If, if, if you find yourself in a situation where people are inquiring or, or where you feel comfortable, like you feel it's right, like you feel a prompting of the Holy Spirit. I said last week, don't just walk up to a complete stranger and say, do you know Jesus? Because that's probably, you're not going to have a very good success rate. But the Holy Spirit will lead you. I believe that. He will guide you. I had an opportunity one time at work to to talk to a guy who was very opposed to religion, very opposed to Christianity, very opposed to any of that stuff. And I had an opportunity, and, and, you know, I would hear him say things that just were like fingernails on a chalkboard to me about Christians and about Christianity. But I didn't argue with him. I didn't fight with him. I waited for my opportunity, and I had it. You know, he's a Christian today. I didn't, not because of me, but he is. He doesn't go to this church and that's fine. There's lots of great churches. The power of your testimony, the word of your testimony, there's power, power to overcome the enemy in you. That's why we have, we we don't have it that much anymore, but I want to get back to having people get up and give their testimony, get up and talk about, tell who they are, tell what God has done in them. I want to get back to that because there's power in that. It's liberating. And then the scripture says that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death, and I believe that this, in this specific context, context it's talking about the martyrs. It's talking about martyrdom. It's talking about those who have already died, as you read the twelfth chapter. But but you notice it says that they defeated. They've defeated the enemy, but they're dead. How do you defeat, how do you overcome the enemy if you're dead? Because to Christians, death doesn't mean what it used to. Because if you're a believer in Christ, then death, as as was said in the song earlier, is a door. It is not finality. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then death is not defeat. Death, in fact, is victory. And I know that doesn't make sense in, 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 our, in the way we think, in, in, in our way of thinking. But, of course, we understand that God's ways are not our ways. He's, he is higher than us. He is beyond finding out. He's unsearchable sometimes. But I, I believe that, that this scripture is talking in the context of martyrs. But I also believe, and in, in, if you don't know what a martyr is, is someone who dies for their faith. The Apostle Paul was a martyr. He ended up being killed because of his faith. Uh, the Apostle Peter was a martyr. Stephen was a martyr. They died because of their faith in Jesus. But I believe that there are ways that this can speak to us. And in one way, I believe it speaks to us is about prioritizing ourselves. They love not their own lives uh, the King James says it this way. They love, they love not their lives even unto death. And, and I believe that one way that scripture can speak to us is about how we prioritize ourselves. We are not to prioritize ourselves over others. The whole of scripture teaches this. My rights don't come before you. That's a hard one for Westerners. It's a hard one for us. Especially we live in culture where our rights are the most important things, right? My rights don't come before John. We prioritize. Jesus said, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. That means do, and this is hard, Do unto Raiders fans. (laughs) Do unto Democrats. Do unto Republicans. Do unto whatever whoever you don't like. It's not that I don't like Raiders fans. I just feel sorry for them. (laughs) 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 Sorry, Patrick.
1: Uh,
0: Whoever your enemy is, do unto them as you want to be done unto you. Whoever you don't like, if we would start thinking of the world in this way, then we would be agents of peace, right? Instead of agents of conflict. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then Jesus goes straight from that into broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that find it, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And very few people find it. He transitions from how we treat people to the narrow and the broad way. I don't think that's an accident. I don't know what you've been told about the broad and narrow way. But the words of Jesus, Jesus transitions directly from how we treat people to the broad and narrow way. I believe that matters. Prioritize. We prioritize others over ourselves is one way that we can do this. And 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 the people who are in this story, I believe, who in, in chapter twelve, they are already martyrs. They have already passed, and Jesus is speaking about them. I'm sorry, the the, the scripture is speaking about them as they didn't shrink away from death. That's how the NIV says it. They didn't. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Many of you know Cindy Coyle was a, a member of this church and just passed away not too long ago. And as I was reading this, I thought of her. The last three months of her life were not great. She got a diagnosis that was not great. We had a big prayer meeting here for her. This place was filled, just showing how much people cared about her and loved her. We prayed for her. And as I as I reflect on that night, I think that was more for us than it was for her. I think she knew. She began to live her life in knowing she didn't have a lot of time as if she knew she didn't have a lot of time left. She took took some ladies from the school out and bought them things. She she did a, all kinds of things, numerous things for other people. The last week of her life, I, was, I went to see her three times in the hospital. And the first time it was just her and I. And we talked for at least 30 minutes. It might've been longer. And, and, and she talked to me about her family and her kids and her grandkids and how she was worried about them, but that God had given her peace and And she talked about, she asked me about how how I was doing, how my family was doing, if we needed anything, all these things. Here she is laying in a hospital bed, concerned about other people. And it it was sad in one way, but it was also a beautiful thing to see how that she was transitioning. She was not shrinking from death. Her body was getting weaker, but she did not shrink from it. Then I went to see her again and she started asking me about heaven. She asked me if she'd recognize her mom when she got there. I told her she would. I believe scripture backs that up. Jesus said God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus said himself, Abraham himself was happy to see his day, meaning that Abraham was somewhere in a conscious state and saw Christ. We'll be known as we are known. I gave her all those scriptures. I talked to her about how that when we're absent from the body, we are present with Christ. She again asked how everybody was doing, how the church was doing, if we needed anything. Her body was getting weaker, but she was getting stronger in her spirit, it seemed. She had peace. She led a selfless last few months last time I went to see her, she wasn't conscious. Prayed with her husband, prayed with the family. She seemed so weak. But this morning, she's not weak anymore. She has triumphed by the blood of the Lamb by the word of her testimony, and she did not shrink from death. The way we defeat our enemies is not with fists and knives and guns. It's the way of the Lamb. We follow the path that Jesus laid out for us. It's of love, and it's of self-sacrifice. It's by giving words of life to people, words of our testimony. Look at the life of Jesus. He gave words of life everywhere he went. He was the lamb. And then he did not shrink in the face of death. He did not love his own life even unto death. And that's the path that we're to follow. That's not glorious. That won't sell a lot of books. That won't pack a church. That won't get you a bunch of listeners to a podcast. But it's the way of Jesus. The way that we overcome and triumph is by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony. And by not loving our lives so much that we shrink from death. Yes, scripture tells us that we are to care about ourselves. Please don't mishear me and go out of here and throw yourself in front of a train and say, well, I want to do what God's asked. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, It could be argued the exact opposite. Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love yourself, it's hard to love your neighbor. But don't prioritize yourself over your neighbor is what I'm trying to say. Don't prioritize yourself over other people, over other religions, over other ethnic groups. Come on. The way of Jesus is not to do that. We overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony and how we prioritize ourselves by not shrinking in the face of death, by not loving our lives so much that we shrink in the face of death. And this is all just another way that we follow Jesus. That's all we're trying to do at this church. What's the mission of this church? We want to follow Jesus. What's the mission of this church? We want to follow Jesus and bring as many people, get as many people on that path as possible. And dear God, if we're on the wrong path, show us. But we want to follow Jesus. That's all I care about in this church. How much offering did you get? I don't care. How many people do you have come? I don't care. I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I care in a sense that I want more people to follow Jesus. But we want to follow Jesus. And how do we do that? We, we submit to the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ by the word of our testimony, by telling other people what he's done in us, also by watching how we speak to other people, by using our words to build up, not tear down, and by prioritizing others over against our own needs and wants. And by not shrinking in the face of death. And this is all just another way that we follow Jesus. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back up. We're going to actually take communion together.